Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. As I discovered how dysfunctional the centralized fossil petroleum business was, it alerted me to the mining techniques of coal and all sorts of things that the current energy business does so incorrectly and looking to rectify them and move in a more sustainable direction. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solar Warriors, welcome to episode 153 of Suncast. You know, today's entrepreneur is no stranger to the show. If you're unfamiliar with John Bonanno, I do encourage you to listen back a couple of weeks to episodes 146 and 47, as he is my co-host for Impact Positive. He's also a mentor, friend, and super savvy clean tech investor. Danny Kennedy at CalCEF certainly believes so, as he's hired John to help build the new energy nexus. Not long ago, John explained to me what exactly he has been working on. And I gotta admit, I was left bewildered, befuddled even. I had to have him explain it to me one more time, this time with the recorder going, so I could avoid feeling silly for asking him to explain it another five times. Opportunity zones are all the buzz in investment circles, but few in the solar industry understand them or how they can be leveraged to finance deals. John and New Energy Nexus have built an extensive repository of resources directed at helping you figure it out. And we dive deep on that subject in today's Suncast. Show notes, book recommendations, links, and more than 150 founder stories and solar startup advice are archived over at mysuncast.com. While you're over there checking that out, why don't you take a chance to learn more about the Suncast tribe, my inner circle of listeners and trusted advisors who receive exclusive content that goes beyond the scope of these Suncast episodes. Click become a member and learn more. For now, let's tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Welcome back, Solar Warriors. I am, as you are probably already aware, excited to have this week's guest back on Suncast. If you've been listening along a few weeks ago, we did an intro presentation, if you will, of uh, the series that we've begun called Impact Positive. Hopefully, you've listened by now to the episode with Catherine Rizaya of LightSource BP. And you are more familiar with my good friend and mentor, John Bonanno. So I feel like he needs no introduction, but I'll give him a very brief one. John is an entrepreneur and investor in the clean tech and startup world. He is no stranger to solar and wind and lots of other different verticals, which is why our dear friend, Danny Kennedy, who is running CalCEF and uh, New Energy Nexus, Brought him on as the CXO, and I'll let you explain what the hell that means, but he's now the CXO at New Energy Nexus and is investing in all things interesting. We're going to talk about everything from impact investing to Oz, 
and everything uh, in between. Maybe I just said that. So what does CXO mean? Welcome back to Suncast. Yeah, thanks. Good to see you, Nico. Good to be back. I can remember back almost two years ago, we were doing our first uh, Suncast program together. Two and a half. It was episode 23 for those of you who... So if you want, actually, before you tell us about CXO... Do you remember the story that brought tears to my, my eyes? And I'll never forget this. So Luis Morales, you're going to appreciate this. John was still uh, at the time running Empower, which in some ways was a competitor to Enphase. And uh, I snuck John into the, to the meeting room at Enphase where Enphase had so graciously given me a space to record at SPI 2016. I'd like to revisit the story that literally rocked your world and catapulted you in to trying to figure out how to wean the world off of fossil fuels. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I can, I can course, never you, forget you it. You can never forget it. So, <laughs> so, so as to not do that thing where the guest, where the host says, go back and listen to episode 23. This is something I didn't know about you. So why don't you share that? And then I will sort of uh, black hole, like a worm hole, pull you back forward, you know, whatever, 20 years. As Nico said, we were at SPI and we were hiding behind Enphase's booth and <laughs> We were having our Suncast session together, and, and I was just telling Nico about my experience as a survivor of 9-11. At the time, I was uh, underneath the South Tower on the morning, and um, and ultimately was uh, within uh, about two or three blocks when the first tower fell and, mm. and had to get people out of the building that I was in. And it was very, very traumatic and dramatic, and it really changed my vocational life. Yeah. forever. I was doing internet and wireless businesses before fancy free and have make a lot of fortune was created there. And I just transitioned. I had to spend time thinking about what happened. And for me, mm. the nine 11 attack was all about energy or frankly, energy dysfunction. And so how can we prevent that going forward? And at the time of, I was not a father, so I didn't have that instigation. It was just, I don't want that terror to happen to anyone again. And so uh, I set out off a journey, and as I discovered how dysfunctional the centralized fossil petroleum business was, it, it you know alerted me to the rooftop uh, mining techniques of coal and the fracking technologies that cause vast uh, poisoning of water and all sorts of things that the current energy business does so incorrectly, and, mm. and looking to rectify them and move in a more sustainable direction. So that's a, it's a heavy place to be. What got you across the emotional mountain in front of you after 9-11? I left New York and I uh, moved to Barcelona, Spain and lived like a monk. Um, Were you married? Not at the time, no. Okay. Mm -mm. I was engaged and then broke off the engagement Mm -hmm. and went to uh, Spain. Yeah. Uh, Lived in an apartment with two pieces of furniture and just did a lot of meditation, a lot of exercise, a lot of being outdoors, mm. a lot of trying to connect with the story, yeah. um, trying to connect with the story of what happened and what will happen and being very present and ultimately began a new path, a new vocational path. Because when you see that kind of violence really instigated by the energy dysfunction, you have to think to yourself, okay, well, I'm an internet and wireless professional at the time, energy is a completely different business. So the learning curve on the new industry was incredible. You know, I started with ocean wave energy devices mm. as a place to really make impact. And my my current wife, my only wife, can tell a funny story about visiting a a very 
energized entrepreneur in Rhode Island that had a thing that was like a giant ping pong balls on sticks that were running generators subsurface with a oh, like was, wave wave technology. It was wave technology. And, mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> thankfully we didn't make any investments in that. Yeah. Um, but it really opened my eyes to, we, we have to think very, very differently about, mm. about the transition. And it wasn't even called the transition at that point. Yeah. I don't want to gloss over. You say things like we didn't make an investment in that. So who's the, we, where did, like financing or, or equity or investment come into the picture? How did you get into the idea of investing in this technology at all? How did you have the wherewithal? Where'd you get the capital? Like, help me understand that. So uh, as part of the late nineties, I was lucky enough to be, and I say that in fair truth, I was just lucky enough to be in the right place to have my company bought for a lot of money. Okay. And it uh, allowed me to do the things that that I've done, which is Mm -hmm. invest in and build and manage companies and many of them, well, at least the first three were in the internet and wireless businesses. And at the point of 9-11, I transitioned to just doing sustainability businesses. Yeah. So I've invested in six different companies. Um, I've I've founded some of those companies. I've served as chairman of the board to some of those companies. I've, I've played a lot of, of active management roles being you know, C-suite executive. And so I've had a a lot of different perspective. I've been on both sides of the negotiating table, buying and selling. And so that is helpful when looking at how do you empower Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs on their pathway to success and, and knowing where the bodies are buried or the pitfalls are can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it also makes you a little jaded. It also makes you very skeptical but I have a lot of hope. And I think some of this work we're doing with uh, Impact Positive is something that really gives me a lot of spirit because it's a whole new pathway for entrepreneurship and it's a whole new pathway to to fresh ideas and different perspectives, mm. which is super important for me. When I say in the in the intro that you've been uh, and you've invested in many different sort of categories of business, I mean, one of my favorites You've clearly been involved in clean energy, but you uh, also are an investor in Earth Class Mail, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yeah, you know, it's and if, if you're not familiar with that, like it's uh, go go look it up. But John has a perspective across technology, across the digital divide, uh, across the energy gap that is important. It's a reason that I. I sought him out as a mentor and literally <laughs> called him every time I went to San Francisco for four years. And I just love the perspective. You're the first person, I'll never forget this. You were the first person who, as an executive, as an investor, where you weren't prescriptive to me at all. You just asked, answered my questions, but you shared how you would get on a train to go down to Palo Alto from San Francisco and you would meditate. For me, in my early 30s, that blew my mind. It was as though I was learning from a monk at the time because I couldn't really put in a box like what it looks like to be sitting on a train somehow tuning out the noise. That's a difficult one to do too because that, if anyone's traveled on Caltrain north-south during commuter hours, they'll know that that train specifically is chock-a-block of, you know, the IT expertise that are running some of the biggest technology companies in the world. And, you know, everyone's got the newest backpack and everyone's got the newest bicycle or Mm -hmm. mobile transportation. Maybe it's a one wheel electric thing, or, I mean, it's, it's like flash Gordon fast forward. And so 
finding the, the space and time to be alone and to be thoughtful is difficult, but it's a requirement. You really need to create the solitude. You have to create space for yourself. So you mentioned back then, episode 23, you were running uh, Empower Micro. Uh, you mentioned that technology has now found a new home. And, you know, you called me from India when I discovered that you'd sold everything you had, started traveling around the world. Another moment of uh, introspection and inversion to consider the next step. What called you back to San Francisco? Well, first of all, I mean, we were, we were be we were trying to be very thoughtful. So we did buy carbon offsets for our travel and things like that. The journey was absolutely amazing. Having traveled through uh, Europe and then going to Africa was such a different experience being in sub-Saharan Africa for the first time, getting exposure to the Maasai culture and, you know, having come from a Muslim country in the north of Africa and now coming into the south where you had Christian and Muslim really face to face and and then transitioning over to India where you have a very strong Hindu southern India Hindu tradition. Uh, it was just a, this, an amazing whirlwind of culture and also coming face to face with the realities of economic disparity were very real and also uh, the impact of the climate changing so dramatically, which affects water, it affects ag agriculture, it affects migration, uh, it affects so many things. And so seeing that with my young daughters in Living Color was pretty deep. And we weren't set on coming back. I mean, we really did almost stop and stay in Southern India for an indefinite period of time, put our children in school. I mean, we, we also applied to and got into a beautiful school in Northern Thailand. No way. And we almost stayed in Northern Thailand and we considered staying in Panama and Costa Rica when we were there. So there were many places we could have gone off the bus at that point. And we decided to come back. I was in Japan during the most amazing season, which is the spring cherry and the blossom. Sakura. Yeah. The seeing the cherry blossoms is an amazing thing. Ian Rogoff, who's the chairman of CalSEF and I were communicating off and on. And he said, have you checked in with Danny recently? And I've known Danny for gosh, since he and Andrew Birch were running around with Sanjevity as a plan, always had great affection and admiration for, for Danny and his work. And he said, you know, really check in with Danny when you get back. So Danny and I set up some time uh, this summer of 2018 when we returned to talk about what was going on. And the reboot that has happened at New Energy Nexus, California Clean Energy Fund is really worth cutting open a little bit because a lot of people have, they have an impression of what it is and most of the, and they have also a lot of uh, respect and uh, the brand is fantastic, but most people don't even know what we do. So I had to learn that as well. And it wasn't something that I was familiar with. I think even since my interview with Danny back in the summer, California Clean Energy Fund, New Energy Nexus has taken on new and, uh, and diverse aspects. Why don't you just give us an update? This was new to me as of the fall of 2018, just recently as well. So what happened is it's, it's important to wind back the clock to when the 501c3, the nonprofit organization was formed. And when it was formed in 2003, it was formed by the California Public Utility Commission. 
And Mike Peavy, who was the chairman of the California Public Utility Commission, he was overseeing the bankruptcy of PG&E the first time they went into bankruptcy. And in order for them to get out of bankruptcy, they had to f do a whole bunch of different activities. One of those activities was put $30 million into a nonprofit organization, which would act as a fund-to-fund -fund investor into venture firms that would be investing in things that accelerated our transition to clean energy and electric mobility and things. So the fund-to-fund -fund directive from the board of the nonprofit to the management was invest in venture funds and private equity funds that are going to invest in companies that are going to facilitate and accelerate the transition, electric mobility, green generation, smart grid, interactivity, etc. And so Dan Adler, who was the manager at the time, uh, went out and invested in, you know, uh, DFJ's fund, the Nth Powers fund, and, and a couple other funds. But the mandate was deploy capital. And that was the California Clean Energy Fund non-for-profit deploying PG&E's capital. And that worked really well. Um, they invested in a fund that invested in Tesla, and those returns came back, and that was good for perpetuating the organization. But by the time 2015 rolled around, first and foremost, I think Dan, who's an amazing executive, said, you know, I've done my thing here. You know, I've been here 10 years. I've really followed the mandate. It's time for me to transition out. And also, there was no more money. Uh, the money was deployed. And so Ian had to make the decision, you know, do we wrap this thing up or do we go forward and, and do a pivot and recreate? And he recruited Danny and Sherry Pittman, who's a, a really amazing woman. She and Danny recreated what is the nonprofit organization today. And so today we have the New Energy Nexus, which is the network of incubators, accelerators, university startup centers, national labs globally that are creating and inspiring entrepreneurship in clean energy. Mm -hmm. And then we have the California Clean Energy Fund, which is the, let's call it the financial toolbox program. We have the Cal Seed program, which is a granting program that we do. We have the Cal Testbed program, which is a access for entrepreneurs to the UC systems and, and also national labs. So they can test a prototype or get third-party validation on what they're saying, which of course helps with fundraising or commercial engagements. We also have a, a Cal Charge program, which is all about uh, stationary and mobility uh, charging. The whole thesis of the nonprofit organization is to support diverse entrepreneurship in the clean and equitable transition. Our definition of diversity is um, women, people of color, coming from regions that are traditionally overlooked. Right. And equitable means that 100% uh, renewable energy for 100% of the people. Help me understand where you see New Energy Nexus going. Danny brought you in for a very specific reason. What the hell does the X mean in your title? And what's next? So first and foremost, if anybody that knows Danny, he loves being extremely creative. And he's just amazing in so many ways. But one of them is being creative. He and I thought up CXO because it represents what really my mandate is. It's to expand the capacity of the organization and deepen our impact. For the last two and a quarter years or so, Danny and Sherry had created and exercised these really important programs, and they also had optimized them. But all of them need expansion. They need to be bigger if we want the exponential change we seek. And so my role is to bring in private donors, but also to creatively look at our toolbox of financing tools as to how we can expand our impact from that perspective. 
So I wasn't prepared for the discussion that we had because you took me in a direction that I never expected to hear about how you guys are envisioning leveraging what on some level might be considered sort of evil for good, right? <laughs> We're going to expound on, on why I say this and you know why, but there's a subset carved out in the new tax code that is quite interesting and when paid attention to can create particular leverage and I think you guys are doing something nobody else is doing. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show today. So let's unpack Opportunity Zones. I have to give credit to Graham Richard um, almost entirely because Graham is a, a great thinker. He's the former uh, mayor of a Indiana town, a city. Um, and he worked um, at the uh, Advanced Energy uh, Coalition for many years, too. So uh, during the Global Climate Action Summit in September of last year, where all sorts of dignitaries and thinkers were coming into San Francisco and convened. Led by Governor Brown. Led by Governor Brown, also by Michael Bloomberg, also by Anand Manhundra and some others, where we had lots of leaders from all over the world saying, okay, fine, we need to solve, come with solutions. And we did something called the Speedwell Ball that was very successful to bring up entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs signing on to 100%, which was great. And it continues even today. And we'll do another Speedwell Ball in the fall. But one of the things that was brought to light during that conversation in September was Opportunity Zone Finance has the potential in clean energy. And again, Graham brought it to our attention. And to your point, the law had been set in December of 2017, which is called the Opportunity Zone Act. It was part of a much bigger tax package. And when it was first signed on the 103rd page of this legislation, and it's only about 16 pages long, the first step needed to define space. It's a place-based investment type of opportunity. And so the governors of each state had to designate these areas. And the purpose of the tax break or the tax advantage is they want capital to come into low-income areas and to build prosperity in those areas and stay for a long period of time, something in the range of 10 years is ideal. This is a tax-advantaged investment strategy yes. for reinvestment in what was being coined opportunity zones mm -hmm. that were going to be delegated to the governors and jurisdiction leaders to carve out. Basically, hey guys, it's December 2017, go define the boundaries and then we will flesh out in the meantime, the legal structure. Pretty much. The first step was making the place. And so the governors did their cut. They passed it to federal treasury. The treasury finally agreed to those lists, uh, or I should say those maps in about mid-summer of 2018. Those lists were put online. And so you could actually digitally look at the maps. Yeah. And where do you find this? You can go to uh, mymyozfund.org okay. uh, and there's a digital map right there and you can just put in an address and you can query whether your address is in or out of this opportunity zone. And you'll notice that if it's white on the map, it's not in. And if it's orangey brown, then it is in the opportunity zone. These lines are seem to be totally arbitrary. I mean, like splitting neighborhoods, splitting families, like within the United States in particular, it seems to be complete, uh, I mean, bordering on gerrymandering, like here is where this governor or leader decided they want to invest money. And it literally could be like one house is in, one house is out. But there are other jurisdictions where entire swaths of land yeah. 
maybe entire islands. Yeah, this is our opportunities. Right, right, right. The entire island of Puerto Rico is an opportunity zone. And so anyone doing any equity offering, whether it's a project or whether it's a corporate, should consider utilizing opportunity zone finance yep. for for yep. sure. So now we've got the lines drawn and then what had to happen? So then people had to start understand, it's important to understand what our mission is around this whole thing. So we are a nonprofit organization. We were studying this financial mechanism and seeing if it would even fit with new energy. And so we we went to look at the law very carefully and we've partnered with some great law firms and some great accounting firms to try and understand, does clean energy even fit for this law? And ultimately we determined that yes, if you're offering an equity position in any sort of equity position, it can be a corporate or it can be a SPV partnership, it can be a, a project, uh, you can sell that position to the Opportunity Zone investor as long as it is physically located in the Opportunity Zone. So let's break it down. What is the tax advantage of an Opportunity Zone as we came to understand it in October, November, December? So the first thing is, is it's a capital gains tool, not an income tax tool. So the ITC is an income tax tool. That means that uh, one can buy a credit against their income so they can shield income by investing in this tax credit. This is where anybody, anyone, it can be an individual, uh, a corporation, a partnership, they liquidate a position and create capital gains for that entity, for themselves. So you were smart enough to buy lots of shares of Amazon when you were a baby boy. And today you're saying, is Amazon at the top? Maybe I'll sell some of it. And you have a big capital gains that you now have. You can take that capital gains from 180 days of the time that you make that capital gains and reinvest it into a qualified opportunity zone fund. Okay. But it is a limit of 180 days. So from the moment you liquidate your Amazon stock or sell your house or any other capital gains effect, you then take that money and redeploy it into a qualified opportunity zone fund. And in doing so, as the investor, you file paperwork and it's very specific file paperwork with the IRS and say, I'm not going to pay you my capital gains Mm because I've put it into this qualified opportunity zone fund. Okay. So at that point, the investor has placed their capital into the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund and reported it to the IRS. And the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund then deploys that capital into the equity position of the project or the company equity. Okay. And by doing so, they get, the investor gets several benefits. The first is they don't pay their tax on that investment till 2026. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a delay in that liability. That means that from the period of when they invested, let's call it today, mm-hmm. till the year 2026, they pay no tax on that money. That okay. means 100% of that money is working for their benefit. So from today, they're recording a little over seven years of tax shield. That's what about, right. What about if I invest it's, in 2022? It's tax, it's tax delay. Tax is delay. What, it is. what about right. in 2022? Well, we'll get to that. So if you invest in 2019, there is a seven-year period before 2026. And so you can get a lot of the benefit. So for the first five years that you're in a qualified opportunity zone fund, your basis for taxation is adjusted by 10%. That means that if you put a million dollars into this qualified opportunity zone fund, now $100,000 of that goes into your pocket tax-free without encumbrance of taxation whatsoever, which is quite a good benefit. Now, if you stay seven years in the qualified opportunity zone fund, then you get an extra 5% of 
of adjustment and basis. So that's $150,000 tax-free in your pocket. But when you get to 2026, you have to realize your original capital gains liability with the 15% adjustment. So the amount that they're able to tax you on is much smaller at that point. So seven years, I mean, this is 150000 that you don't have to pay taxes on and traditional capital gains tax is 15%. So we're it, talking $30,000. No, you can go, no, you can go up as high as 27% on mm-hmm. capital gains. Okay. There's all different types of capital Good. gains. So we're, so, but at a, at a minimum, it's a $30,000 savings on, for every million you've invested if you stay in for seven years. No, no, 150000 at 15 points. So if you're, if you're talking, if you're saying, Hey, my liability is, is whatever it is. I characterize that on the day that I put it into the fund. So it could be short-term capital gains, could be long-term capital gains, sure. could be capital gains on specific exotics that yep. get, tra- that get taxed at a different rate. Oh, there's, sure. Okay. There's lots of different tax rates for capital gains. This isn't complicated at all. so at that point you have a 15% basis adjustment if you stay seven years and you've had eight years where you haven't paid any tax and 100% of your money has been working for you and creating value for you now the fourth benefit is that if you stay in the qualified opportunity zone fund for more than 10 years and then you liquidate your position after 10 years the entire underlying value of the asset in which you've invested through the qualified opportunity zone fund it is tax-free as well. So from seven years at 15% to 10 years, it goes to zero. It's the first five years is a 10% basis adjustment mm-hmm. yeah. on your tax, I get it. right? And then you have an additional two years that gets you another 5%. So that's 15%, 15 basis right? so adjustment. Yeah. And then you spend eight years not paying tax at all. So that's 100% of your money working for eight years. And at that point, at eight years, you have to realize your tax. You, okay. have, to, you have to pay your tax in at that point. Uh-huh. And then if you stay in the fund for more than 10 years, and then you liquidate your position in the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund. Whatever you invested in, you pay oh, no tax now in. you have no tax on the investment. On the investment. On the, on the new capital gains. Yes, right, on the new capital gains. So you can say, hey, I invested in this thing at a million bucks on year one, and now I liquidate my position in year uh, 11. Shut the and front it's door. Wor- it's, it's worth now 5 million bucks. I right. pay zero on that tax on that, on that final liquidation. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now the challenge with clean energy assets, meaning projects, in in most cases the energy market the market price of the asset is declining. And that's a challenge to this particular asset class. This is typically a real estate investment. The law was written for real estate. And and all real estate charts will tell you it's up and to the right. Now that's not universally true for every single real estate investment, nor is it true for what the future of real estate will be worth in 10 years time. Mm, But that's the story that everybody that's selling a opportunity zone fund in real estate is telling their investors is that of course it's going to be up and to the right. And you know, if you look historically, you'd say, well, they're probably right, but is it for certain? And what are the underlying assets and where are they and how are they going to liquidate and all that kind of stuff? There's a lot of questions about what value that will be and what value it's creating for the society in which it's being installed in. Incredibly intuitive and user-friendly, FTC Solar's Sundat software makes creating project layouts seem like playing Tetris for utility-scale solar. 
With detailed DC electrical design, civil analysis, and no system size limits, Sundat is the industry's most powerful design automation software. Did I mention that it automates tracker layout optimization, iterating on complex scenarios of GCR, module strings, backtracking, and more? If you are tired of waiting for design automation to catch up with utility project layouts, then sign up for your free trial of Sundat today. Just click on the Sundat logo at mysuncast.com. If you're excited about learning from the entrepreneurs that we have here on Suncast, and you are eager to discover ways to capitalize on the pending solar and storage boom in Puerto Rico, boy, have I got the perfect melding of opportunities for you. On April 29th, I'm hosting an exclusive event with Forbes contributor and my personal social media strategist, James Ellsmore, at the Vivo Beach Club in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Come spend the day with us and participate in this one-day intensive mastermind session with other executives and leaders in the renewable industry. There are only 20 spots available, and they'll sell out quickly. Learn more and claim your ticket at www.attendprecharge.com. That's attendprecharge.com. See you in San Juan. What this seemed to me to be on the surface as a skeptical progressive is uh trump crony tax advantage right like trump's a, a a real estate magnate this seemed like it was carved out to help make trump's friends in the real estate industry more money the rich get richer it doesn't even favor clean energy it's yet another hard problem for clean energy investors to try to figure out so that we can have like an interesting approach for tax advantage investing in something that matters and that changes the world so are you somehow Robin Hood stealing from the rich and giving to the poor? Where does, where does New Energy Nexus fit no, into this? The, no, the, I mean, the investor gets to take all these advantages. It's not, it's not like uh, we're stripping anyone of any value. We believe, and we've done a lot of modeling around this, we believe that in a, a bog standard solar array ground mounted system right down the middle, there is about 300 basis point of value that's created when you add opportunity zone capital and when you don't have opportunity zone capital and 300 basis points in the world of solar is enormous massive massive so why don't you explain what that does to the numbers like what okay. is 300 basis points for somebody who's not financially well, savvy okay so so everyone knows that that sponsor equity in a regular project and again right down the middle mm -hmm is going to give you about an 8% IRR post-tax gotcha. return. Okay. Yeah. With this opportunity zone finance, taking some portion or hundred percent of the sponsor position that changes to about 11 and a quarter percent right. return. And so that's where you get your, your value. Now, my belief is that if any single party, whether it's the investor or the developer or the community, if any of those three parties says, I get all that value, then the other two parties are going to be alienated and say, well, we, you know, we're not going to be so supportive or whatever it might be. But if everyone is sharing the value that's created by this mechanism, then I believe that the velocity of transactions goes up significantly. How should I think about opportunity zones through the lens of project development? If I'm looking at accessing opportunity zones as a strategy for having capital deployed into my projects. Well, first of all, make sure they're physically located in the opportunity zone. And again, go to myozfund.org and you can bounce addresses off the database and yep. you can find out, is this physical address? And you have to use the actual address, like 123 Main Street XYZ right. has to be very specific because you can be on one side of the street and out of the zone and one side of the street and in the zone. 
So query specific addresses. Right, not zip codes. Yeah. Not zip codes, that's right. And then uh, the second thing is you have to you have to come to us and and again the our mantra as a non-for-profit is a awareness. Mm-hmm. So we have to make our community aware that this even exists, the opportunity zone finance mechanism. B, we want to educate our community on what it is, how it works and how they can use it. And C, we're facilitating qualified opportunity zone fund structures and compliance on behalf of the entrepreneur. And we consider the entrepreneur someone doing a project next and, and, and offering some portion of the sponsor equity position, selling that to the, the, the investor or the, to the fund, in fact. And then also we see the entrepreneur as a, as someone that's offering a, Reg D or Reg CF offering of corporate equity in their company that's located physically in an opportunity zone. And it could be a company working on better air conditioning technology, or it could be a startup working on better mobility powertrain stuff. But if they're physically located in the zone and they're offering a new share class issuance, they are qualified to receive capital. As if Puerto Rico needed any more reason for companies to move there. This seems like the golden age. It's a great time to be building a business in Puerto Rico, whether whether you're offering corporate equity to make that move or whether you're doing projects. I mean, I'm very familiar with Chris, Chris Johnson at uh, Blue Planet Energy. Yeah, right. They're doing a lot of great projects down in Puerto Rico with energy storage, building resiliency, lower cost, clean air, clean water, low visual impact. I mean, these are like huge, huge, huge benefits to the communities in which they're being built in. Uh, one of their biggest customers is the uh, American Red Cross, and they just want to be able to service the communities with uh, health services that are desperately needed. Why is New Energy Nexus, a nonprofit, uniquely positioned to offer this type of a fund? It's not a fund. We're not. Fu- so this is an interesting pathway we went down. So in the in the fall. When we were talking, you know, Danny and I and Christina, our, our amazing CFO, were saying, hey, we're going to do an Opportunity Zone fund because we have a great community of family offices. We have great corporate partners and they all have capital gains that they're looking to be efficient with. Let's have them put it all into a, a new fund that we start and we manage that fund and we dispense Opportunity Zone capital. The two reasons why it fell down is A... Even if we were incredibly successful at doing a fund, we'd execute on six to 10 deals per year. That would be really, really successful. And in our mind, that's not exponential in any way. Secondly, it would be us negotiating against our customer. Our customer is the clean energy entrepreneur. We'd now be negotiating terms of investment against our customer, which we found very inappropriate. So what we've decided to do is A, awareness, B, education, and C, facilitation of the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund structures and and filings. So what we're doing is by putting up those three places and going to myozfund.org, you'll find a bunch of information there about awareness and education and facilitation. A lot of capital sources have come to us as experts. And they said, hey, can you help us find projects or good investments? Yeah. We are not a broker dealer. We're a nonprofit. We're not SEC compliant in any way for that, from that perspective. We also have a lot of project people coming to us and saying, hey, we've got these projects. They, I bounced them off your database and now I have, you know, a, we're working with a, a developer that's doing a 200 megawatt ground mounted system all in Opportunity Zone. They're raising a $100 million Opportunity Zone capital stack to wow. put in that sponsor position. So 
we have access to both sides of the equation. We are not taking any transaction fees, no transaction fees, nothing. We simply, all we've simply saying is we will help create the compliance structures so that everyone goes faster. This goes back to, ironically, a question I asked Danny, how do you make money? And the question I asked you, we're sitting at that Oaxaca restaurant and you were thinking about raising a fund and you said to me, uh, and I'll let you expound, it's something almost identical to what Danny said. I'm not at a position in my career anymore where I'm so concerned about making money. I want to make impact and I want to make sure that we're deploying money. This is what Danny said. I want to make sure that we're setting up a structure and infrastructure that deploys money in equitable ways to the right people. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to make millions anymore. Like in my career, I've made, I've made money, I've made impact. I want to help others. And this is a story I think I heard from you of why you felt this was so compelling to join CalSEF when you weren't even sure what the vision was going to be, except let's get the right people on the bus. That's it. I really want to understand because this is fundamentally different. I mean, this is actually a lot of fun as a podcaster. Like, I didn't know that you weren't doing a fund. I came into this interview expecting you would tell me about the fact that you're the lowest cost of money and all the stuff that we discussed, <laughs> It right? is the lowest cost of money, but it's just not ours. Right. I found because of those two reasons of not being exponential and being on the opposite side of the negotiating table with our customer that us doing a, a pool of capital was inappropriate. It didn't suit our mission. But awareness, education, and facilitation fully fit our mission of supporting diverse entrepreneurs in the transition and equitable transition in that. So there is a small fee for creating a qualified opportunity zone fund. It's $2,500. And so it's very, very small. I mean, talk about raising $100 million and you have a $2,500 cost somewhere in the, uh, the equation. It, it frankly means nothing. And that's really where we want it to be. We want to be literally in harmony with both parties and being completely out of the way of the transaction. So we help it go faster and we do not encumber in any way. Wow. It's all about velocity and it's all about scale. And so can we scale myozfund.org quickly? The answer is absolutely. Mm. And does it provide value to the community, yes. Does it add value to the entrepreneur? Yes. Does it add value to the investor? Yes. So it, it really checked our boxes in all ways. After traveling the world and seeing our business through different lenses and perspectives, what do you believe to be true now that wasn't always true for you? I believe what's true now is we might be too far behind. And that's why my sense of urgency is elevated I think that the desire for high velocity and scale are really peaked right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe I made the mistake of reading a lot of Jeremy Grantham, who is an absolutely brilliant thinker around this subject of, of climate change and change in water systems and ocean systems and ag systems and migration and you know racism and genocide and starvation and all sorts of atrocious bio warfare that are potential for the extreme climate environment that we're coming into, we need to mitigate that. And I say mitigate, meaning in the sense of reducing the worst outcomes uh, at this point, I, I actually was of the belief that we can really change this in a relatively benign way. And I didn't think there were, there was going to be pain around it, but I think my journey around the world has really had me look through my young daughter's eyes and say, what's it going to be like for them? I don't eat beef because 
I'm trying to help them yeah. and I'm trying to help their children mm. because we, we won't really see it. I mean, we are going to experience it in our lifetime for sure. And we already are experiencing it in our lifetime, but it's going to be a lot, lot worse. Yeah. And I, and I think that realization has only been within the last year. And my mm. desire for acceleration is really to take the head off of it. But I don't know if we can get to the base as quick as I thought. And and we really, there's going to be pain in this transition. Yeah. I've been uh, following this uh, Swedish high school activist, Greta Thunberg. And she famously now said uh, in a video to uh, UN Climate Conference, she said, the house is on fire. And underlying that is this sense of urgency that the tender eyes of a 16-year-old can see that a generation before her has missed. Mm -hmm. And despite the best efforts of cadre of well-meaning entrepreneurs and executives, we do still feel like we're behind and the house is on fire. There are a lot of folks uh, just hanging out in the living room, smoking their cigars, oblivious to the fact that the roof is about to cave in on them. Yeah. I mean, we have a, we have an, uh, something internally that we use at the nonprofit. It's a, it's an audacious goal, a big, a hairy, yeah, big audacious hag. hag. We believe that the entrepreneur is the change agent and mm. the diverse entrepreneur, especially. And we plan to support a hundred thousand clean energy entrepreneurs by 2030, which is a hag. It's a lot of change and it will take that kind of exponential movement in order to be successful. Yeah. That's more than 10,000 entrepreneurs a year. <laughs> yeah. And through, and through yeah. the new energy nexus, we can do that. We yeah. have 88 points of connectivity Amazing. today. It's growing very quickly. You know, we're growing at the place of greatest need in Southeast Asia. Yeah. We're going to move into South Asia very soon. We're already in China. So being able to bring entrepreneurs up there and in situ is so critical. And we help them create better businesses through our our accelerator in a box program. We capitalize them through a variety of tools and then we promote them throughout our global network. In our interview with Catherine, you asked a question that I wish I had asked two minutes ago <laughs> because uh, it's a perfect, uh, what you just said is the, is the answer to it. You say with great abundance comes a lot of responsibility True. Yeah. to give back. Yep. The question to, uh, to an entrepreneur in this scenario would be, how are you reinvesting your treasure, talents, and time? And it's remarkable to me, the mission that New Energy Nexus is on yeah. to give back, yeah. to reinvest that abundance, not, not only your own, but those who have come alongside New Energy Nexus as investors, as supporters, as, as donors, as donors, I mean, yeah, as, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly, as a channel for folks who have created abundance to redirect that. Yeah, I, I would even say that people that don't have extraordinary abundance that story I think is just incredible where mm. we've worked with this entrepreneur for better part of two years and he has decided to give $25 per month on his credit card. And this is someone to CalSAF to CalSAF. And this is someone that does not have a lot of financial abundance, but he believes in our programs and he believes in our mission so strongly that he continues to give. How does he do that? What's the mechanism? How would I do it's that? A, if you I... just go to the website, go to, uh, New Energy this, Nexus. you can go to, you can go to energynexus.co uh -huh. or you can go more important, easier to donate is just go to CalCEF, yeah, C-A-L-C-E-F.org. Yeah. And yeah. there's a big donate 
button on the top right and you yeah. you can sign up you to set it up as recurring it's a yeah i mean i, I give i give every month yeah. um just because i think leadership is about example yeah. and so i myself uh, signed up as soon as i became Perfect. an employee and i started yeah. uh giving it's not hard it just it, it really just takes a change of mindset mm. because everyone's always looked historically at the oh the California Clean Energy Fund. You guys have all the money, right? It's like uh -huh. no, no. It's a non for profit organization, and yes, historically we had you know twenty seven million dollars to yeah. to invest in a fund of fund investing strategy, but this is now a true non profit doing the good work and yeah. entirely mission driven. So uh, it requires funds. Well, you mentioned the word mindset, and I think that mindset is something that can be trained. It's true, as Carol Dweck says, you can be born with either a growth or a fixed mindset, but that it can be trained and it has a lot to do with those you surround yourself with, but it also has a lot to do with the choices you make around the inputs. One of the inputs I think is critical for everyone. If you haven't listened to this show, you will become familiar with this. If you haven't listened to the show, you know that I'm a huge advocate for reading. Leaders are readers and readers become leaders. How have you given spoken wisdom into the life of others through the transfer of knowledge and books? What, what do you recommend others give to others? And what are you feeding yourself with in the form of literature? <laughs> right, right now I'm, I'm reading tax law, <laughs> uh, which is totally boring. I'm very deep on tax law um, right now. And, and we're doing a lot of sharing. So part of, you know, awareness, education and facilitation and a lot of uh, what we're doing now with investors, uh, with developers, and with community members, you know, we're speaking at a bunch of conferences coming up and, and preparing that story to happen in very short bite sizes is pretty difficult because it's a complex uh, tax transaction. And so we're trying to figure out how we storytell and not, you know, make people glaze over and recognize the benefit. You know, when I say three points of post-tax return, you know, your eyes pop out of your head. And, and frankly, it, it should make every developer uh, listening to this say, well, hold on. How, how, how do I use that thing? And, you know, and like, because I want that. Because if, if, if I can turn my return rate up, that means maybe I can take a little more development fee for myself or, or you know, yeah, I want to share some of that value with the investor and some with the community. So opportunities on finance is really an interesting thing. And, and that's what I'm reading a lot about now. I'm, I'm very intense on that. Is there a website that you're that you found that's just like goldmine for opportunities on learning? Well, we're ho we're hoping to make myozfund.org that not, place. Yeah, yeah it, it, there's a lot of what we found is is first of all the rules aren't done yet, yeah. and so the treasury is still finalizing the mm. rules, and a lot of the big money is sitting on the sidelines saying we're going to wait until the final rules because the last thing we want to be doing is unrolling or un unraveling past transactions. So a lot of money is kind of waiting, and there's tons and tons of news around people transacting and this and that. And eh, I'm not sure it's really happening. I think yeah. people are buying options right yeah. now, which is fine uh, because if the underlying asset, this is really what I tell anyone evaluating opportunities on finance, the underlying asset must merit yeah. investment and then layering on the opportunities on finance makes sense. But if right. the underlying asset is struggling for whatever reason, it's, you know, you don't have site control or you don't have uh a power purchase agreement or any variety of things, as you know, when you're evaluating projects, it can fall out right. for any reason. Now, the interesting thing that does happen with Opportunity Zone Finance is that if the model is fatter, which it is, you can potentially take more risk in your project. So you find that particularly in CNI, where in a lot of cases, the counterparty is you know a family that's been in business for 60 years and they right. have 
you know, say they have a million dollars in cash on the balance sheet and it doesn't pass the financial controllers. Listen, we are only, you know, Moody's rated on our counterparty or, or, or S and P rated, or yeah. they have to have, you know, $3 million in, in balance sheet value. And then, you know, we're going to ask them to take a million of that and put it into mm-hmm. a letter of a credit or some sort of, you know, escrow or whatever it might be. It just makes it impossible. You can have a lot more lender discretion. Right. And yeah. so then when you start to have more meat in the model, maybe you're doing a sweep fund and mm. taking some of that capital and pushing it aside into the sweep. You know, there's a lot of ways that you, you maybe you take a, an underlying real estate investment as well. So you take the land and the property on which you put the solar and the energy storage. There's a lot of sort of transactional things that once people are aware and educated on this, on this opportunity zone finance mechanism, they're starting to get really creative around, okay, okay, okay. But the point is, is a lot of the big money still sitting on the sideline. And so there's time here to get ready, get prepared, get your projects checked against the database. Is it in, is it out? Maybe you want to start sending your sales force out into these opportunity zones to try to uh, prospect. Meet the streets, yeah, yeah, figure out what's exactly. out there. Find, find these projects because with all honesty, these opportunity zones are opportunity zones because people didn't focus on them before. Yeah, that's right. So you can go pick up maybe giant rooftops pretty cheap, or you could find some uh, brownfield land that you can get on really low cost and get on a a substation nearby low cost because no one even thought to go there before, Yeah, you know, And, and community solar is completely applicable to this utility scale solar. As you said, right at the outset, there's more than 8,700 regions of Opportunity Zone in the United States and the American protectorates. Guam, American Samoa, Puerto Rico, St. John, St. Thomas. It's really all over the place. So I get it. There's a ton of opportunity. And uh, your head is super in the weeds on tax and trying to figure this out because you guys are a repository for education. In the meantime, for fun or interest, is there anything particular that's on your nightstand? Right now I'm reading two things. Uh, the first is uh, Winners Take All, which is a really honest view of what is happening in philanthropy and quote unquote impact investing. And a lot of the uber wealthy folks that are practicing in this space did not like the undressing by this author, but I think it's honest. I think there's merits on both sides of the argument there. So it's it's been very eye-opening to me being new to nonprofit work this is Anand Giridharas. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's a New York Times writer. He's, he's really a great writer and also a great speaker. But Of course, I always link to the books, but I'm going to say it for you guys so you can have it. Winners take all. The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Anand Giridharas. <laughs> yes. Okay. And the other one that I'm just starting to read is This Changes Everything. And that's another New York Times writer, uh, Naomi Klein. She's written a lot of really good stuff about sort of the long emergency that we're going through right now and that how it's the boiled frog problem and water's boiling. <laughs> water's boiling and, and we're, we're at the breaking point now and extreme exponential change must happen in a very, very short amount of time in order to offset some of the most dire outcomes. This changes everything. Capitalism versus the climate. I am going to add that one right now because that seems like just fascinating reading right there. Well, we're going to link to myozfund.org in the show notes for folks that are eager to dive in and learn more about Opportunity Zones. But where could they learn more about 
John Bonanno, reach out to you on LinkedIn. How can yeah. they get in touch? LinkedIn's a great place. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. We'll link to your LinkedIn. And we will also be linking to the CalSurf website for those who wish to donate. I think that that is a fantastic option, one that we highlighted as well in Danny's episode. And I'm wondering, as a final takeaway, are there upcoming events? How can people get in front of you guys? Yeah, we're going to be doing the CalSeed call. Uh, so the, the oh, cool. third cohort of CalSeed is coming up. Mm. Um, we've already got 48 companies in our portfolio. We expect to add 20 to 25 this year. Exciting. And this is non-dilutive grant capital right. to your company. Have to be a California company. Uh, has to have effect on California. Okay. Um, you can't have more than a million dollars in revenue. There's like, there's a bunch. Go to calseed.fund, mm-hmm. C-A-L-S-E-E-D.fund. Fantastic. So uh, at the time of publishing, the call will likely already be out sometime late March through for a couple of months. So head to calseed.org and it's calseed.fund. Fund, sorry. Calseed.fund. All these uh, dot uh, all these TR the, the top level taken. domains. Yeah, all the TLDs are uh, yeah. are interesting. And it's energynexus.co. .co, yeah. I have a dot .co. Do I have solarpodcast.co and I never use it? Oh. <laughs> I probably should. Maybe. Uh, I think it redirects to Suncast. Frankly, I never tell anybody that. But, I like uh, Suncast. Yeah. I'm trying to make a brand out of Suncast. I like it. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for being on Suncast. It yeah, is so uh, fun. Yeah, man. It's a real, real joy to have you back. Is there anything in your crystal ball? Is there something beyond Opportunity Zones that you see happening that perhaps no one else? No, I think 2019 is a really big year for clean energy. Mm. I do. I think it's a, I like to say it's a clarion call for diversity as well. Um, I think we're going to see, and especially in the U.S., uh, build up to elections in 2020. Yeah, There's going to be a lot of conversation around gender equality, pay equality, workplace situation stuff, people of color, you know, electoral dynamics and all that is really going to be interesting for our our social conversation. Well, as that happens, we will continue to explore it here on Suncast. We love having you, John Bonanno, on the show. John Bonanno is the chief expansion officer, whatever, CXO of New Energy Nexus and uh, investor extraordinaire, friend, mentor, and visionary for our new energy transition. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. That's a wrap with today's Solar Warrior, John Bonanno of New Energy Nexus. Hang tight, though, and I'll share some goodies with you. If you'd like to have a closer look at my notes from today's discussion or just learn more about John, Opportunity Zones, and more, then click on that Listen link at the top of mysuncast.com. That'll take you to the Episodes page where you can peruse over 150 interviews chock full of goodness. And on each episode page, we have the show notes, social media, and website links, and fantastic book recommendations. While you're there, do also check out the Suncast Tribe, where you can be a part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Just click on the member button to learn more. And finally, please don't miss out on the upcoming opportunities in Puerto Rico. We have had a couple of episodes recently that detail the opportunity there but you can also learn a whole lot more and spend some time in a one-day intensive think tank with industry insiders really sharpening the stone i believe that a rising tide raises all boats if you also agree and you'd like to be in the room with 18 other fast-paced leaders in the caribbean market go to www.attendprecharge.com And to learn more about Solar Power Puerto Rico, the event that's happening the day after Precharge, 
and the looming opportunities happening on the island specifically, check last week's Suncast Soundbite featuring PJ Wilson. If you go to the resources page for that episode, you'll get a 10% off registration code. Hey, I'm grateful that you chose to be here. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. We'll be right back. 